All right, you guys. Who could have predicted that I'd have you turn to 1 Corinthians 13 on Valentine's Day? Yeah, that's right. 1 Corinthians 13. Happy Valentine's Day. Whether you are relationally spoken for, single, ready to mingle, or that's not for me, happy Valentine's Day to all of you, all the same. All the same and all for one. So you guys, um, we love you guys so much that I want to talk about love this morning. And so as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is, you know, for Bible students, most likely the first chapter from like, talk to me about a chapter in scripture that talks about love. What's the first thing you think of? Yeah, you know, I would think of 1 John 4 maybe, and some would be like, oh, 1 Corinthians 13. There's some, some key chapters in scripture that if we're going to talk about love, the writers of the New Testament gave us a lot to consider. Whole chapters anyway that are really focused on the subject. So, as you're turning there, as we're preparing to look at just a few verses here in 1 Corinthians 13, USA Today put out their 10 last-minute gifts this week for Valentine's Day. So um, this is kind of like a public service for some of you guys, um, and you can thank me later. Here's the top 10 last-minute gifts. I'm going somewhere. This is fun. You're going to enjoy this. I certainly did. Number one, incredible floral arrangements. How original. Okay? That's number one. Number two, adorable matching couple mugs. Oh, that's cute. Number three, a sentimental photo gift. A little late in the game, but you could probably pull it off. There's, you know, one hour photos around still, I assume, or you could just print them off your computer with whatever paper you have. That's number three. Number four, this one, this one surprised me. This one was very modern and it shocked me because I'd never thought of it. A subscription to his or her favorite streaming service. That's interesting. Come snuggle with me. This feels a bit self-serving, but number five, scrumptious food or candy. Now you're talking. How is that number five? How do we wait till number five? Number six, gorgeous jewelry. Sounds expensive. Number seven, an adventure fund. This is a cool idea. You put money in an adventure fund. We're going to go on adventures together. You could probably call that the probably won't happen fund. <laughs> okay, so the reason I say that is if, if it, you know, for, for people who've been married a little while, you know that that turns into the washing machine fund, the couch fund, the entertainment center that the kid cracked fund. It turns into all of those things. It never is, it never goes to the thing you're like, we're saving up. It's like, if you're saving up, you better spend it now. Because if you don't, something is going to break. Your wife's going to want two more chairs, right, Bob? Am I right? Come on now. Okay, number eight, an essential oil diffuser. This feels very one-sided. I don't, I don't know many guys who are like, besides BJ. <laughs> Literally has one of these in our office. <laughs> I didn't even think of that until I was like, this feels very one-sided. I looked at it and I was like, oh, BJ has one. Okay. That actually made the top 10 list. Can you believe it? Number nine, a sentimental journal. I, I mean, you'd have to like keep it very topic specific, I would think, because my journals are full of all kinds of things, you know, musings, bad jokes, you know, that kind of stuff. Dad jokes. My bad jokes are dad jokes. And finally, a subscription to Audible for audiobooks. That's interesting. I, I know who sponsored this. It's not a podcast, but you know, USA Today. It's okay. So now here's the reason that I read that entire list to you. You're like, wow, this is a really interesting way to start a message. Mike typically doesn't do this. You're right. 
There are men in this world that believe that once a year they're required to buy their wives an essential oil diffuser to prove their love for them. That they do this once a year and that after doing this, they're off the hook until next Valentine's Day. That they're off the hook to do something sentimental or sweet. Now, I know that's none of you guys or any of the people watching me on YouTube You know, later on. I know that's none of you guys. But there are guys out there that think that this is the only day that they express love through giving a gift that's very I care about you themed. You know, not a I bought you a vacuum for, you know... Christmas, but Valentine's Day is is kind of this thing where I show you that I care and that I love you. There are women in the world who are concocting a scheme as we speak. Right now, it's happening all over the world to get their husbands an Audible subscription with preloaded books on how to build end tables (laughs) so that their husbands feel accomplished in creating something so useful. This is my... (laughs) This is my personal experience. They're then off the hook until next Valentine's Day to give their husband another project to do for them. I'm just kidding. But like, do you understand this goes both ways that, that people oftentimes find a holiday such as this to get this reason of I'm going to express my care and my love for this person and then I'm off the hook until I have to do it again. Do you notice how I worded that? Until I have to do it again. Is that love? Does giving a gift mean that you love somebody? There are people in the world who do this because showing someone that you love them is for special occasions only. And for the married couples, the singles looking to mingles, and the I don't cares, this applies to everyone. This is wrong. That's a wrong perspective of love. It's why relationships shatter. And not, it's not the way at all that God has taught us to love one another. God has given us here through the pen of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a beautiful picture of what love is and what love is not. He covers it so well that it's not only here's what love is, but he's also going to say, and love is not this and love is not that. And while the passage is not specifically written with a backdrop such as Valentine's Day in mind, it's very pertinent to talk about this on a day such as today. And it doesn't land on a Sunday all that often. So we just have to deal with it because this is where Mike is in his life. So certainly this applies to what we're, what we're dealing with today. Although the backdrop isn't necessarily a theme for this, this applies to every day. And it's a wonderful reminder of what love truly is at the core. Are you ready? Boy, howdy. First Corinthians 13. Let's pick up in verse four. We're going to read verses four through seven. We're just going to focus. I know this is weird for me. I'm just going to for- focus on these short verses. I'm not going to do a whole chapter. I'm not going to, you know, we're, we're very much in Daniel mode where Mike's got these chunks of scripture to get through. I don't, why can I keep talking to myself in the third person? That's weird. Mike's getting upset. Verse four, first Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. Now, for all you English students out there, there's a unique set of verses 
that you just read. That's very unique. And the reason I say for English students is because we have to bear in mind that as Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, which desperately needs a reminder of what godly love looks like, he's describing this in a very specific and unique way. It's a reminder of what godly love looks like between God and themselves and between each other and how that flows out. And in fact, as we delve deeper, we'll see that descriptions of what love is not are directed very specifically towards Corinthian sins. There's a handful of Corinthian sins that Paul has already called out and said, like, these are things that should not be named among you. And we're going to see that he's actually talking about what love is not. And it's some of those specific sins. So don't, don't withdraw from the, the context and from the, the, the church here that he's talking to. But understanding that, let's look for similarities and let's look for application. Now, the reason I mentioned the English people, because I, I always have these English majors like, Mike, you can't use that word in that sense. It's not the proper, you know, context. That's fine. You know, I'll try and do it better. But within these four verses, notice this. Paul uses 15 verbs. 15 verbs in four verses, all of which have love as a subject. Now, you'll notice this as well. If you look at the Greek, he is using the word, for those of you who are familiar with the different words of love in the Greek language, he's using the word agape all throughout this chapter. So he's using it. We're not going to get into the depth of the word agape and what that means. If you want to talk about that later, that's fine. But agape is the word he's using for love. He's talking about a godly type of love, a love that isn't based upon, um, it's more of a resolve kind of love. That's not based upon something happening. Therefore, I love you because you did this for me. It's not something like that. But 15 verbs, all of which have agape as the subject. And in a culture that would certainly describe love as an emotion, something that we feel Throughout scripture, we see that love acts. Love takes action. Love is a verb. Now, how true love acts is revealed in Paul's list. Seven positive love does and seven or or, sorry, eight negative characteristics that love does not. So you have seven positive. This is what love does do. And you have eight negative. This is what love does not do. Fifteen all in total. And we look at this in the context of love being a verb. It's their actions. These are actions. True love will do certain things and will not do other things. Notice before we go a bit deeper, when you read this text, is love something that we show through actions a handful times every year? Is love something that I just say because I feel like I need to say it? Or is love something that is working its way from the inner core of me outwards at all times? Is this something that I can't even stop from coming out of my life because it's living itself out through my actions and through the things that I do? If you look at the descriptives, according to the Bible, godly love is a lifestyle and it's a challenging lifestyle. Because it not only comes with things that we know that we should be doing as an outpouring of love, but it also includes things that we should not be doing. And these are things that should restrict us out of love. Love not only encourages us forward, love restrains. Love actually reminds us of the things that are not godly and to submit those things to the Lord. So let's look at what love is. And there are slides for this, and hopefully it's not too confusing. I apologize. I did these in a rush yesterday. So if there's mistakes, that's all Ellie's fault. What love is... If you look closely at what love is here in verses 4 through 7, you'll notice that more than half of the fruit of the Spirit is represented from Galatians 5, 22, and 23. More than half 
of the fruit of the Spirit is represented. Love itself is one. Patience, kindness, joy, and faithfulness are all represented in this list of what love is. Isn't it interesting that the fruit of the Spirit will produce loving action in our lives? The fruit of the Spirit will produce loving action. When we have the true love of God at work in our lives, church, the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow naturally out of us. You're going to hear me say this a lot. Flowing naturally, I'll use the term effortlessly. Why? Because so many of us are trying so hard to be what God has said rather than being what God has said. Rather than letting him work these things out of us from the inside out, we're trying to put on the right garment to look the way that he said. And that is works-based religion. We need to let the Lord pour into us through his word, through prayer, through relationship, and watch him work this out. And the reason I say effortlessly is because so many of us are trees trying to bear fruit through grunting. We're trying to push that fruit out as hard as it goes. And I, I do this all the time. I did it with, you know, our home group this last week. You never go into an orchard and hear, if you do get out, like don't stay there. Bad place to be. Why? Because the, the trees are producing fruit naturally. And you're like, but we're people. And that's why Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches and he who abides in me will bear how much fruit? Much. Jesus is like, you connect to me and let me pour out through you. You will produce and you'll produce a lot. He does this through his love. Love, number one, the first thing that Paul tells us that love is, is patient. Patience that's fueled by love recognizes that others have faults just like we do. If you want to preach a very unpopular sermon to a young crowd, and I did this a lot to my youth groups, and I still do it to my young adult group, patience. Patience is not a popular word. Patience is something that people recoil at. Remember, Paul's writing to a church that has interrelational problems. Don't forget the backdrop. The Corinthians have major interrelational problems. And when it comes to patience, love starts here. It's funny. The first three verses of the chapter, he's saying, he's comparing things. He's like, if I have, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men and I don't have love, I'm like a, a clanging cymbal. I'm like a noisy gong. He's like, I'm just making noise that doesn't have any purpose or point. I'm just banging on things, basically. He's like, I could do all of these things, but if I don't have love at the core, then they're worthless, essentially. And so here in verse four, this is the first thing that he says that love is. Love is patient. I've had to share this recently with some young people because it's very difficult to be patient. And I'm talking about in all facets of life, it's difficult to be patient, but especially relationally. Whether it's someone who is a romantic relationship, whether it's someone who you're in relationship with as a, as a child or a friend, whatever relationship it is, it's hard to be patient with people, isn't it? A lot of times parents justify their lack of patience with their kids because, you know, well, they just don't, they don't listen to me, so they get impatient with them. You know, we get impatient with our coworkers because they're just so dang stupid. Not like me. because they leave the diffuser on all night. But here, here's the thing. <laughs> you know what makes the office steamy? Um, you guys, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Like, these relational issues, we, we sometimes will justify impatience because of the other person. Love 
is patient. If we are loving one another, we're going to be patient with them. We have to be intentionally patient with others while they mature and grow. Remember, the proper context of this is the church. He's talking to the Corinthian church. How easy is it for us to be patient, for me, with somebody that I'm having a conversation with in the world who doesn't know the Lord? Sometimes I'll be like, oh, yeah, they they just don't know any better. And then a church person will offend me, a family member who I consider to be family. It's like, get out. How dare you? Like, dude, where's the love? Where's the compassion? Where's the patience? I have none for you. I've spent it all today. That's not love. That's not the abundance of God's love in our lives. So love is patient. What else is love? Love is kind. Why is kindness such an important thing for us to remember New Testament church? What about kindness in scripture comes to mind? There's a passage of scripture that always comes to mind for me when I hear the word kindness. And it's from Romans chapter two. Does anyone know what it is? His kindness leads us to repentance. Paul's talking to his people and he's like, don't you understand that it's his kindness that leads you to repentance? Don't you remember that? It's Romans two, four. It struck me as I studied this, that I haven't connected that kindness to seeing his love from another angle. To seeing his love from another angle. Our kindness towards one another is revealed in our respect and our compassion for each other. We are to be kind, church, to one another. Not just people that we have to be kind to. Not the customer is always right. Like, we should be kind to each other at all times. Here's the thing. This comes home at the home. This, this is the hardest thing to do in the home because I have no problem being kind to people in this context because I'm at church and I'm being well-behaved. But when I'm at home, am I kind to my family? Am I patient with my family? Because that's where the true character of love is going to be seen for all it is from my life. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind and compassionate to one another. Notice this, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. How? How am I supposed to be forgiving? How am I supposed to be compassionate and kind? Because God has given you more kindness and more compassion and more forgiveness than you could ever quantify. That's how. We remember the gospel. This is where the gospel, you know, we we talk about this a lot in our home group. This is where the gospel is supposed to be preached to the church always. You're like, I thought we go to preach the gospel so that people get saved. We do. We do preach the gospel to a lost and dying world, but the church needs to hear the gospel as well because that's the gospel. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Jesus. If God has forgiven us, then we should forgive others. And there is a lot that Jesus has to say about this that we're not going to talk about this morning. But look up what Jesus has to say about forgiving one another. Because the backdrop of our forgiveness is this massive mural of God's forgiveness for us, of our sin when we deserved it, even sending his son to die for us when we were still sinners. God's forgiveness and compassion and kindness is overwhelming towards us. What love is, is also part of rejoicing in truth. Love rejoices in truth. Love isn't easy. We often lie because the truth is the more difficult path. 
We often lie because truth is hard to hear or hard to deal with. The consequences of truth a lot of times are high. But love rejoices in the truth. Truthfulness is directly tied to the nature and character of Christ as he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so love always rejoices in the truth. We must... We can't just be people who like to speak truth and speak truth only. I think a lot of us are like, well, I'm just telling the truth. Don't you justify yourself with that sometimes? I do. You know, hey, that's offensive. Well, it's the truth. First of all, that may not be truth and love, as it talks about in Ephesians. But not only that, are we people who receive truth? Can we have the truth spoken to us, receive that, and actually change? Because we've had the truth spoken into our lives. Many of us like to speak it, but don't like to receive it. It doesn't, you can't have one without the other. We can't be someone who speaks truth and doesn't receive truth because that's inauthent- inauthentic. <laughs> For you English people, inauthenticity. That's inauthentic. We can't be that way. We must be not only people who speak but receive, especially when it's being spoken by those who love and care for us. People, the love of God rejoices in the truth. What else does love do? Well, according, moving down the list, we'll come back for the things that love is not. But moving down the list and looking at verse 7, love bears all things. Now, when we talk about love bearing all things, in other words, it never gives up. Love never gives up. It persists. In the same way that love is patient, we understand that we will have to love others through their faults. Now, here's the danger of reading this on a day like Valentine's Day. Someone's like, I'm never giving up on you. You will be my Valentine. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying when that love never gives up, it's that we persist in loving people even when they have wronged us, even when they fail, even when they make mistakes. And a lot of times we like to justify ourselves when someone is in a bad place by saying, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with them. That's the last straw. That's not what love says. Love bears all things. It never gives up. And in the same way that it's patient, these things connect. A lot of these themes will connect to each other. In the patience of love, you will find that it bears. It bears with people. Not loving someone because they aren't changing fast enough for us misrepresents Christ. It misrepresents the Lord when I'm not loving somebody because they're not changing fast enough for me or when they're not doing something in their life that I wish them to do. I'm supposed to love them regardless because Jesus loves me regardless. He is always the example of God's love. Love believes all things. We don't give up on people. Not only... Do we um, bear through things, but we don't give up on them? It believes, even though that's like hoping, even though others may give up on us, we continue to love them through the struggle. We persist in caring for them. Love never loses faith. Love holds fast to faith. And that's a difficult thing in our time because love is fickle in our day, yes? Love is short-lived. It's that flash in the pan. It's that hot fire that burns really quickly. Just uh, for, for the younger couples and the older couples will agree with me. If you want a love that lasts, you want a slow burn. You want a fire that gets those coals hot and can keep its heat for a while. You need to be in it for the long haul. And if love bears all things and believes all things, that means that love is hopeful. 
Love is going to make us hopeful because God has given us the ultimate hope in Christ Jesus that will be fulfilled. But not only that, are we hopeful for other people? And I don't want to see a raise of hands, but how many of us have lost hope for somebody? They're beyond our reach. I just, there's no hope for them. I'm done. They're never going to come back. Love believes all things. That doesn't mean love's like, what? Two for a dollar? These weren't made in China? They're authentic? Seriously, it's not saying that love believes all things. You should buy Ray-Bans in Mexico and believe that they're actually Ray-Bans. Like, I mean, they're just, you're not going to get them for $3. Okay, that's just reality. You guys, you understand that's not what it's talking about. It's saying that love is hopeful for the good outcome. In other words, I would say this as well. Love keeps us positive. He continues on, he builds off it more. Love hopes all things. Having a hope that is eternal, as we've talked about often in our studies in Daniel recently, we can hope for God to work out his will in the lives of his people. When love believes, it also hopes. And notice again, these things are arching and connecting into each other. These ideas are connecting into each other. This makes a very full picture of what love is. Love hopes all things. It believes all things. It bears all things. And you're going to notice the next thing they says also connects to the idea and the thought process. It endures. It endures these things. It perseveres. And perseverance can be difficult. Who in this room hasn't wanted to quit at relationships at some point of their life? And I'm talking about any relationship. Now, I'm not saying never quit any situation or relationship. This is situational. And the reason I say that is sometimes we are in relationships that are inappropriate and that needs to stop. Okay? That doesn't mean you stop loving them. In fact, when we look at the things that love is not, we might discover that we've actually been calling something love that isn't love at all. We've been looking at it wrongly. So sometimes the relationship is inappropriate, but love should be going forward. Love should be something that we're doing because it endures. Always persevering can be hard. Persevering in love, especially when somebody rejects us or pushes us away or mistreats us, does not justify us in dumping that person off to the side and not caring anymore. Maybe that relationship is cut off. We've all been through these. Maybe the actual connection of that relationship is cut off, but love never ends, he's going to say later on. We continue to love that person. How do I do that? I pray for them. I pray for them. I hope for them. I I try and send people their way that can help them and walk them through things. But that's something that we need to be doing and not quitting on each other. Love perseveres. Don't quit on one another, church. And amongst the church, we have to endure the growing pains of relational connection. As the body learns to function together, relational connections are hard, hard things. You know, what's the thing that we want to do when we get really frustrated with life? I want to be alone. Why? Because relationships are hard. Friendships are hard. Family is really hard. Love's a difficult thing. And the love of Christ compels us to be in difficult situations and to handle them in a way that Jesus would, which means it's going to be uncomfortable for us to love people. It's going to be uncomfortable. As the body of Christ learns to function and abide under the direction of Jesus, we're going to go through those relational growing pains and we have to learn to persist and to endure. Notice yet again, these are actions. Bears, believes, hopes, endures. Patience, kindness. 
These are all things that God has called us to, rejoicing in truth. They're actions. These are things that come out of our lives, and that's why Paul uses verbs to describe what love is. He's also going to use verbs to describe what love is not. Let's get into this. This will be interesting. He makes clear what love is not. Love is not envious. When other people succeed or are blessed, do we get jealous? When God's doing things in other people, not you guys, other people, right? I never get jealous when God's blessing another pastor in an awesome way. Ever. You guys, this is something we're going to struggle with. Love doesn't envy. Love isn't jealous over what others get to have or how God is working in their lives or, or when things are going really well for them. So if you feel that envy, you're not being loving. When I'm feeling that jealousy, I'm not loving them. I'm loving myself. Speaking of which, love does not boast. And I'll put this with it. It's not arrogant. The Corinthians had a bit of an issue with the boasting. They had a bit of an issue with being very prideful about where they were, where God had them or who they or what they were allowed to do is more like it. In fact, Paul has rebuked their arrogance in several places in this letter thus far. Chapter 4, verse 6, 18, 19, and in chapter 5, verse 2. Over and again, he said, like, you are arrogant. You people are so full of yourselves. It's not good. Love isn't boastful. It's not arrogant. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That is a hard verse to live. I mean, I just whipped it right out. No problem. I could say that and not have an issue with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is easy, you guys. I mean, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. <laughs> have fun. But when you walk out the doors, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to be humble. Consider others more important than yourselves. Who is the first person we think about in the morning? Me, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to brush my teeth. You know, where's my coffee? You guys, we, we are so focused on ourselves, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to the bathroom. Like, yeah, I know Bob's like, dude, <laughs> what you should do, do you need to go first? <laughs> no, she won't respond to that well. My friend will be like, What? Get out of here. You guys, consider others more important than yourself. Love isn't arrogant. It's not boastful. Love is not rude. Little word study. I try not to do a lot of this because there's a bunch of material here, but love is not rude. The word group for rude here in the Greek is the, the Greek word askemoneo. Askemoneo has a very interesting usage in the New Testament. It has sexual overtones in other New Testament translations. In other usage, Romans 127, 1 Corinthians 736, 1223, Revelation 16, it has these overtones of, of a rudeness that has a sexuality to it. Okay? Love is not inappropriate. Love is not inappropriate. This is one our culture needs to hear, church. Don't call it love if God doesn't call it love. Don't tell me that love is a feeling inside of you when God describes it with actions. And he says this, true love that comes out of your life is going to be revealed God's way. And here's something love is not. Love is not rude. Love is not rude. In other words, to love means that we don't misbehave. 
in any way. We are not to misbehave physically in our minds. Guys, this one right here, BJ, next guys group thing, we should talk about this word in New Testament context, do a word study. Because it's a powerful reminder that God's love coming out of us doesn't look like this. We're going to get to this in a bit. I just feel like I need to say it right now. We've all failed at some of these or all of these. There's no condemnation, church. Don't feel condemned. The Lord is teaching us to be more like him, and there is restoration in the gospel of Jesus. Don't lose hope. If you're feeling beat up at this point, don't. Don't. There is restoration through the cross. There is cleansing through the blood of Jesus if we have failed in these ways. Our rudeness, when we think about love not being rude, something that just struck me that the Lord brought to my mind was James 3. The things we say of any kind that are unloving. Being rude in speech is huge. And sometimes we try and do it with the guise of, I'm just speaking truth. Truth is always to be spoken in love. Love rejoices in the truth. But that also means that love isn't going to rejoice in slander. Love isn't going to rejoice in gossip. And love is not going to rejoice in rudeness. We can do a lot of damage with the things that we say. And a lot of people have justified themselves. When I used to work in the in the, the secular world, lots of guys would justify the things that they looked at by saying, I'm not touching it. I'm just looking at it. I'm not touching it. What does Jesus say to that? If you have thought lustfully in your heart about this woman, you've committed adultery in your heart with her already. Jesus goes heart deep. Why? Because love is heart deep. That's where love is. It's in the heart. It's in the heart, but it comes out through what we do. And a lot of times it'll come out through what we say. Let us not be rude in speech. Instead, the Lord taught us this. Psalm 19 is one of the most powerful psalms. I mean, they're all amazing, but Psalm 19 is one of my absolute favorites. Verses 12 through 14, listen to this prayer. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Lord, cleanse me from the things that I don't see. Verse 13, moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. Church, if we could just get those two verses deep into our hearts over the next lifetime, think about that. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. God, deal with my unseen things that I'm not even aware of and deal with the stuff that just stares me in the face. Deal with all of it. And then this beautiful thing. He says at the end of 13, then I will be blameless and cleansed from, my, from blatant rebellion And then verse 14, amazing. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the things that are going on in my life that I think about, that I dwell on, let all of these things be pleasing to you. If that is your prayer, prepare for the love of God to be poured into your heart and to see it come out through your actions. God's love will become a verb in your life. It'll become an action If you pray this prayer with full honesty, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. 
everything that comes out of me, everything that I dwell on, everything that I say, let it be acceptable to you, God. Let it be fit for your ears, for the glory of your kingdom, because he is our rock. He is our redeemer. Amen? Paul's not done. We'll wrap this up quickly, but he's not done. Love is not self-seeking. I think it's pretty well understood that love should be selfless. But I think oftentimes, it's sad how often I see it in my own life, my love is selfish. Well, is that actually love? If love is selfless, but I'm loving myself over others, that's not God's love. That's a worldly version of love that is not actually love at all. Love should be selfless, not selfish. As always, Jesus Our greatest example in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is like, watch my example. I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve. Do as I do. Love is selfless. Love is not irritable. Dads, Love is not irritable. Moms are like, we get irritated too. I know. But but here's the thing. <laughs> like, seriously, working on the car with my boys is like boot camp for the love of God. Because he convicts me the entire time. Hand me the ratchet, the ratchet, the ratchet. That's a hammer. That's a screwdriver. Dude, like, love is not irritable. That's not the love of God. <laughs> move to your right, your other right, not forward, right, 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 right. You know, like, and, and you send this barrage of rights at him to get it. That's irritation. Love is not irritable. That's right. And they don't, and they don't get that. They're like, how about up and downy, right? So, guys, this is a huge fail on my part. Loving people don't lash out. Loving people are not irritable. And, and again, I just put this out there. We are all on the fail list. Every single one of us, and, and for some of us, all of it. And I'm like, God, I failed your love. I'm horrible at loving. He's like, I know. That's why you need me. That's why we need Jesus. Because we're terrible at this on our own. And every now and then, the flesh leaks out. Just like the oil pan that I'm trying to fix. You guys... There's a, we're a work in progress. The key is to, is seeing people the way that God sees them. And that includes ourselves. Really quick as an aside here, you understand that we need to properly see ourselves in light of who, who he says we are. That'll both keep us humble and well-loved. We are humble and well-loved when we see ourselves in, in the way that God sees us and thereby see others in the same way. It's so important, you guys, that we straighten these things out in our lives and that we recognize we will need regular calibration to keep them there. This is not a one-off sermon. There you go. Now you know what God's love looks like. What you know, it all is. That'll be 1095 and you're good to go. doesn't work like that. We will need constant calibration. We'll have to constantly make adjustments in our life. But you know how you do constant calibration? Read 1 Corinthians 13 often. 
Read Philippians 2 often. Read Mark chapter 10 often. All these passages, Romans 2, Romans 3, Romans 4, read all of Romans all the time. You guys understand, like, the scriptures are there to remind us, to bring us home, to calibrate us. That's why it's so important to walk with the Lord day by day and not just on Sunday and not just a Bible study night. He says, walk with me day by day because we need to be reminded of these things often because we lose sight of who we actually are. We forget what true love actually looks like because we walk around in a world that is filthy and God reminds us through his word and through prayer and through relationship with him daily. This is who you are. This is who they are. It's so hard for me if I'm not in the word, if I'm not walking with the Lord to love my neighbor across the street. But it's amazing what can happen when you start praying for that person. It's amazing what can happen when you start seeing the scriptures and looking at him in context of those scriptures. All of a sudden, I care. I start caring him. I'm like the Grinch. My heart starts growing. You know, like I, I actually care about this person. And I start like looking for little ways to reach out and help him. All right, you guys, this is a big one. Love is not a record keeper of wrong. Love keeps no records of wrong. Bringing up past failure to control people is not love. Bringing up history to control others is not love. Forgiveness from the heart is reflection of love within. Letting it go. Bitterness rots the soul, church. Bitterness rots the soul. Remember the woman in Luke 7 who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair? It's such a loving gesture that she makes to honor Christ, and she did it to show gratitude for something. Do you remember what that was? Jesus explains this. She was showing gratitude for forgiveness. She was doing it to thank him for his forgiveness of her. Luke 7, verses 47 through 48. Therefore, Jesus speaking, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I just got chills. Like, do you guys think about that? Think about what he just said in context of not only her, but ourselves, the one who is forgiven little loves little. And you're like, so how do we figure out how much everyone's being forgiven here? Like if God has God forgiven me enough to where, you know, I I can love a little. No, no, no. He, he tells us how much your sins have been forgiven. How much should we love in response to our sins being forgiven church? A ton. So much that we're willing to drench the feet of Jesus with our tears and wash his feet with whatever rags we have. Whatever I have, I will wash the feet of Jesus with. Why? Because I recognize that he has forgiven me of my sin. And looking at the list of love, oh, my sin is great. The weight of my sin is massive. And Jesus said, I've forgiven you for that. And in response to that, love my way. Love the way that I've taught you to love. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Think of this statement in the reverse meaning. If love finds no joy in unrighteousness, then love does find joy in righteousness. We're going to bring it home with this. Love finds joy in righteousness, which is why Paul follows up the statement 
with rejoices in the truth. He says that in context. I'll read it to you. Verse 6, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. If the love of God is in us, then we find joy in righteousness. And here we find again our need for the gospel. Here we find our need for the gospel because if I'm to understand the righteousness of God, if I recognize that love finds no joy in unrighteousness, then love does find joy in righteousness. Where is righteousness found? Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If love rejoice or has joy in righteousness, the gospel is what love rejoices in. The truth of Jesus Christ, the power of his salvation is what love rejoices in. The truth of Christ's love and sacrifice for us and God's forgiveness of our sin and our salvation through him that has redeemed us for all eternity. The love of God within us finds inexpressible joy resting in that truth. And that's something you can never buy or earn or take by force. It's a free gift given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. The gift of salvation has been given to us freely and love rejoices in that righteousness. Love finds joy in the righteousness of God. Because God has so greatly loved us. And as it says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. We're just responding to it. We look at the love of God and the righteousness of Jesus that's offered to us through his sacrifice on the cross. And as we respond to that, we respond by letting his love then come back out of us once he's poured it into us. And so if you haven't had the love of God poured into you, you can't let it come out. Does that make sense? I I said it really fast, but that's what it is. 1 John 4, we'll close with this, verses 7 through 10. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. Don't you love when the writer just explains to you? Here's how it was revealed. God is love. Here's how he revealed that love to you. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's where love is seen in its truest and most pure form. Church, don't settle for the cheap love of the world that's self-serving and self-focused. Don't settle for a cheap version, for a knockoff that will break and cannot stand on its own when God has given us love itself in purest form through Jesus Christ. That's what true love is. That's what we should be celebrating, not just Valentine's Day, but every day, is that God loves us when I wake up in the morning and he loves me when I sleep at night and he loves me when I mess up. And he loves me when I do what he wants me to do. God loves me regardless. And he's faithful and he's righteous to forgive me of my sin when I confess it to him. Faithful and righteous? To forgive me because of what Jesus did. That's how powerful 
the work on the cross is. We need to be filled with the love of God that is fathomless in depth and higher than the heavens. And this is the love that's been given to us. Romans 5, 5, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, 38 through 39, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers, height, depth, any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God that is personified and delivered to us through the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. The greatest love in the world has been given to us and not only given to us, poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to love? Are you ready to love the way God loves? Because he's empowered us to do it. And there is no condemnation when we have failed on this. The love of God is not something to be celebrated once. It's something that we live out for the rest of our lives. As he says in this final statement in verse 8, love never ends. We could spend an eternity on that verse, on that one section, that statement of verse 8. Love never ends. Why? Because he never ends. Because he is eternal, love is therefore eternal, and we were made to be eternal, which means we will be in his love forever, submitted in Christ. Church, have we failed? Yeah. Let's not justify it. Let's not try and make excuses for it because he's already paid for it. Let us ask him to cleanse us and let's go forward. Let's go forward filled with his spirit with no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, but freedom. And it's interesting when you hear righteousness and explained in context of Roman 1, we're no longer slaves to sin. Paul says we are slaves to righteousness. Like slaves to righteousness, yeah, we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. We've been purchased by the power of the gospel. We don't have to live in sin anymore. We don't have to even submit to it anymore. We don't have to shake hands with it anymore. We can be filled with his love and walk in this newness of life. Let's do that. Share that with people today. If you're like, man, Valentine's Day, an opportunity to express our love for one another, share the love of Jesus because it is a love that is eternal and it'll never end. Amen. Lord, thank you for reminders that your word gives to us. Thank you for your word. And God, I I just ask that if there was anything that was distracting said, that you would just erase that from our minds, Lord, that all we would hear is your truth spoken so clearly. Lord, don't let me um, take away from what your word wants to do in our hearts this morning, God. This is about what you're doing. And so... We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our lives. God, I thank you that there is no condemnation. As we look at this list, there is failure on my part in so many ways. Renew us. Create in us a new heart. Cleanse us of our sin. Refresh us. Let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment. Take a moment to just let the Lord speak to you, and then we'll worship together.